Remain standing for just a minute. I'm just going to ask you to bow your heads for a minute. Because as many of you know, over the next couple of weeks, we're, we're going to unpack uh, the book of Revelations and dig into God's word and what God has for us. And as we said last week, and many of you have said, it's, it's, it's a very controversial book because people interpret it many different ways. So over the next couple of weeks, I'm going to ask us to be in prayer for three specific things. And we'll start by praying for them now. And I want you to just pray with me. God, we, as we unpack your word, the first thing that, that I'm going to ask, that us as a congregation be in prayer for is, God, that you would reveal more of yourself to us through your word. Over the next couple of weeks as we go through this book and, and read and, and try to understand what you are saying to us, I pray that we don't just get an understanding of your word, but that you reveal a facet of your glory that we probably have never experienced before. That you reveal yourself in a new way, in a new form, and, and maybe speak to us about something that we've never encountered before, Lord. Lord, I also pray that as you reveal yourself to us, you also reveal something about us to us. That as we dig into your word, it would open our eyes to maybe a new way to experience you, a new way to interact with others, uh, maybe something that you're speaking to us, that an issue that we need to deal with, or something that we need to do, or maybe a step that we need to take that will bring us closer to you. So, Yes, reveal more of yourself to us. Reveal more of ourselves to us, Lord. And also, reveal through your word how we can impact the life of others. God, if all we do is take your word and we internalize it and hold it in and just keep it within these four walls on Sunday morning, then we are not being the church. So that I pray over the next couple of weeks, Lord, that you would open our eyes and our ears and our hearts and our minds to, to experience you like never before, to experience a newness about ourselves like never before and experience a way that we can interact with others as the church like never before, Lord. But most important, that we would see through your word, your glory. That we would see how awesome you are, that we would see how wonderful you are, that we would see how worthy you are to be praised. And as we continue in worship, Lord, I pray that you would start that right now, that revelation process, revealing yourself to us, revealing more about ourselves to us, revealing how we can interact with others, revealing just your glory to us, Lord. Start that right now as we continue in worship. And all God's people said, amen. God, you are definitely worthy to be praised. And just let that be our focus this morning. On just worshiping you, on praising you, on acknowledging your sovereign authority and your goodness, your love, and your grace. God, bless us this morning. And we pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Uh, you may go ahead and be seated as the children are headed downstairs to uh, Children's Church. Um, now, just to let you guys know, if you were not aware, like I said, we are going to be jumping into a discussion this morning on uh, Revelations. We're going to walk through, over the next couple of weeks, the entire book of Revelations. Now, here's the thing. Many people have different thoughts about the book. 
They're coming from different places. They have different backgrounds, lots of different theological concepts and all that good stuff. So uh, um, I'm going to lay down some kind of ground rules for us just for this morning as we get started. All right? Normally we don't do this, but uh, um, based on where we're going over the next couple of weeks, um, it'll help us get there together. All right? Is everyone okay with that? I take the one head shake as yes. All right. So here's what uh, we're going to do. First thing is I'm, I'm, I'm not going to emphasize one uh, different uh, belief or interpretation over another different interpretation. That's not what we're here to do. And we're actually going to be looking at this as if we were reading it for the first time. Some of you have read parts of it. Some of you have read it in its entirety. Some of you have never read it before. So we are all together going to be looking at this as if we're reading it for the first time. And uh, we're going to base our understanding on what Scripture says. So what we read, uh, we're going to interpret by Scripture, not by existing uh, theological concepts that different people have come up with. Is that fair for everyone? Okay. Larry Shika said he's good for everybody. All right. Okay, good. Uh, so here's the other thing that we're going to do. Uh, we have limited time, so I don't want anyone to get offended if they're like, hey, um, you're spending a lot of time on this particular aspect of the book and not a lot of time on this one. Uh, there are 22 chapters in the book of Revelation. And if we were to spend every Sunday just looking at one chapter, that would be 22 weeks. Okay? We're not going to spend 22 weeks. We're probably going to spend uh, maybe 10, somewhere between 8 to 10 to 12 weeks depending on how this pans out. Uh, So don't be offended or feel like I'm intentionally leaving out something if I don't touch on something that you're looking for, which brings us to the next ground rule is take notes and ask questions. As time allows over the coming weeks, we're going to uh, set up microphones here and ask, take time to say, hey, rather than let's go through the book, let's grasp what we've done so far, what we've talked about so far, and get some questions going because the whole idea is that we all together as the church, get an understanding of what God is saying to the church, okay? And if you've got a question or uh, uh, some information that might help us get there, um, I know that's not usually what happens on a Sunday morning, but um, that's the way we're going to roll. All right, so that being said, um, I'm going to ask you the final thing is to be in prayer, as we said, be in prayer for how God can reveal a new aspect of himself to us, how God can reveal more about ourselves and how God can reveal how we individually and as the church can impact the lives of others. So that being said, we're going to dig right in. Jump, uh, if you have a Bible, um, open it up to the book of Revelation. Might be one under your chair, left, right. If you don't have a Bible, um, raise your hand and we will get one to you. If you don't have one at home, feel free to take that one home uh, so that you can kind of read through and see that I am not making this stuff up. So we're going to start off Revelation Chapter 1, verse 1. Starting in verse 1, the revelation of Jesus Christ, Christ, which God gave him to show his servants what must soon take place. He made it known by sending his angel to his servant John, who testifies to everything he saw. That is the word of God and the testimony of Jesus Christ. Blessed is the one who reads the words of this prophecy, and blessed are those who hear it, And take to heart what is written in it, because the time is near. Now, uh, because this is the first chapter, I'm kind of going to dig deep into this. And we won't spend as much time on every other chapter. There are 22. We're not going to take 22 weeks. But to give us a basis of understanding of what we're talking about, I'm going to spend a lot of time on this chapter. Now, the first thing that's important to note is that this is the revelation of Jesus Christ. 
Okay, I know it's written by the Apostle John. And those of you that are familiar with Scripture, there are places uh, in the Bible where um, different things are documented. For example, if you look through the entire Bible, the entire Bible, as, as it says in the Bible, is inspired by God's Holy Spirit. Men wrote it as they were inspired by God's Holy Spirit. And you'll find places, we can look in 1 Kings, 2 Kings, Chronicles, things where history is documented, but the men that documented it, the men that wrote it, they wrote it as God's Holy Spirit inspired them to write this down. Okay? Then you find places in the Bible where things were written, but it was not just what happened, it was God's spoken word. For example, in the book of Job, at the end of the book of Job, uh, God speaks to Job. And he asks him, where were you when uh, I formed the heavens and the earth? And he, he speaks to Job, and it's recorded what God said. So there are things recorded that are, you know, this is what happened. There are things recorded God said. This is a little bit different, because this is not just what God said. This is God coming down and saying to John, take a memo, okay, and send it to the people. Now, if God comes down and says, take a memo and send it to the people, then it is probably something that we should read. Does that make sense? And that's how he starts off. This is the revelation of Jesus Christ to us, God revealing something to us. So I know there's a, definitely a lot of controversy. I came from, have been in churches where they refuse to read or teach the book of Revelations because it's so controversial. But God said, came down, said, take a memo and give this to people so that they can read it. So we're going to read it, all right? Now, the other thing is important to uh, note is that it's controversial because of the different ways that people interpret it, all right? Some people, uh, and I'm going to share this with you, I will not uh, um, go through a lot of man-made concepts and terms about how they interpret stuff. I'm going to share just a few. And as we go through it, I'm going to try to explain some of the different viewpoints, but if everywhere I stopped and said, hey, this is how he interprets it, this is how these people interpret it, this is how these people interpret it, we could be here all year, all right? So some points, different viewpoints I'll share, some I'm just going to, um, you know, and the whole thing is not for you to adopt the way Floyd believes, the whole thing for you is to be able to read God's word, pray about what God is saying, and then God will reveal to you what he wants you to know about his word, Okay? So, but there are different viewpoints. The first is an allegorical view, and that's where there's a viewpoint that says that the entire book of Revelation is just symbolism, that it doesn't record actual events. It says that it's just, there's imagery, and there's symbolism, and there's things that take place, and it's just a huge allegory, like a big story, but it's not real events taking place. And there are some people that believe that, and we're going to walk through some scripture now if you're someone who believes that, I'm not going to say you're wrong or right or whatever. I'm just going to say, as we read through Scripture, for you to ask God, tell me, if, is this the right way to interpret your word? Okay? There are also some people that say uh, it's just a historical book. And they say it's historical because they say it was written, given to the Apostle John, and it was given to him around 90, 95 AD, and it was given just to show the history of the church and how they were in contrast with Rome. And many of you know the church in the first, test, uh, first century uh, in Rome, there was a lot of conflict, and it wasn't until 300, uh, somewhere in the 300s, that the church, the church that had followers of Jesus Christ, became accepted as the Roman uh, religion, so to speak. But prior to that, there was a lot of controversy, and you'll, we're even going to read where John was imprisoned 
because of preaching the word, because Rome wasn't on par with that. They were a polytheistic government. So some people say it's just historical, it just shows the church's plight against Rome. And again, if that's how you believe, I'm not going to say you're right or wrong. I'm just going to say, as we go through God's word, then ask God, hey, is this how you want me to understand your word? There's some other people that say it's historical, and it's just not just the church against Rome, but the church's fight against evil throughout history and the future. It's just, that's all it's showing. It's just the church's fight against good and evil. It's not actual events. And then there's the people that say it's a literal view, that it is a literal interpretation of what God is saying to the church. It talks about events that are prophetic from a biblical standpoint. That means they're God revealing something that's in the future. It talks about things that are uh, actually going to occur. And although there is imagery there that we cannot understand, that imagery reflects real stuff. And personally, that's the viewpoint I take. But again, I'm not going to tell you what to take. It's, here's the important thing to go. If, if, if you and I, let's say myself and Augie and Larry, just because I see you guys right in a row, are sitting and waiting for a bus, okay, and we know this is the last bus that's going to get us to our destination. And, and I believe, well, you know, as some people believe, I believe the bus is going to come, but it's getting ready to storm. And I believe the bus is going to come before this storm. And it's supposed to be a storm to end all storms. Like we're evacuating. We've got to get out of town or we're going to be destroyed, tsunami type thing. And I believe the bus is going to come before the storm, before the tsunami. And then Larry says, well, I believe the tsunami is going to hit. But before it gets too critical, then the bus will come and get us out just in the nick of time. And Augie says, well, I believe we're going to have to brave the tsunami, and then as it dies down, then the bus is going to come and get us out. Now, here's the important thing. That doesn't mean that we still can't have lunch together. We still can't stand at the bus stop together. We still can't have coffee together. We still can't be friends together. As long as we all get on the bus then we're all good. So if we have, if you guys and me or whoever have differing viewpoints about the book of Revelation, that doesn't mean that we have to split. doesn't mean that we can't have coffee together. doesn't mean we can't worship together. If Jesus Christ were to come back right now, regardless of when we think it's supposed to occur, we should still be able to worship at his feet together. Does that make sense? Are we all on par with that? Okay, so whatever your interpretation is, whatever you think, don't let that divide the church, okay? All right, so uh, moving on. Now, he says that this is the revelation of Jesus Christ, and he says it is to the servants. Now, this is important because he says God gave him to show his servants. Now, the word servants literally means slaves, It literally means slaves, but not the way that we interpret it in our culture with all of the racial and negative connotations that come with the word slave. It literally means slave as in a bondservant, as someone who is serving. And basically what John is saying, that God, Jesus Christ came down and revealed this thing to me for his servants, for all of those who are serving him. For all of those who are working and laboring and and, and living their lives for, to honor Jesus Christ. That's who this is for. And many of you can attest, you've seen movies and stories and books. I know people who have read through the entire Bible or read the book of Revelations, and they say, this means absolutely nothing to me. Well, that makes sense. It's not for you. It's for the people who are filled with God's Spirit and serving God. 
Those are the people who, through his spirit, God is going to say, here is what this word means to you. Here's how you can apply it to your life. If you're not serving God and you don't have God's spirit, it won't mean anything to you. It's useless to you. Hopefully, as you read it, it might inspire you to start thinking about some things. But he says it is for his servant. Now, uh, really quick, I I asked the youth group on Tuesday night. We were talking about, how many of you guys, let me do this, I want you to go back about a year in time, okay? Everyone go back about a year in time. Now, a year ago, how many of you were Steelers fans? Just think pre-Big Ben Fupa before that, okay? Now, I asked the youth group, I was like, hey, if, 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 if the Rooney family were to say, we're going to give season tickets to all of our true, true Steelers fans, how would they determine who that was? Any ideas, you guys? Whoever stuck with them. Anyone else? Whoever's tailgating. Anyone else? All right, actually, that's some of the stuff that the youth group came up with. They said, uh, here's the thing they said. They said that you can, that the Rooney family would probably, whoever dressed in all their Steelers garb all the time, like the diehard, the ones who, like at their wedding, black and gold, at their funeral, black and gold, at the birth of the baby, diaper, black and gold. Diehard Steelers fans. That's one way they could tell. They also said whoever uh, had knowledge of the Steelers. Like, yeah, some people, they don't know anything. They, they know that, you know, that there's a Steelers and it's black and gold. They don't know names of any players. But there are some of you guys that know the, I mean, it's almost eerie, that know the names of the players, the birth dates of the players, the ages of the players, the addresses of the players. Not saying stalking, but... Some of you guys know a lot of information about the players, okay? So the, the knowledge of, and then there was the thing, the committed, the tailgaters, that even when it's raining and pouring, that they're the ones that stay out. They don't even get tickets inside. They just stay out because they're so committed to supporting the Steelers. Now, why did I bring that up? Because in the same way, when you're talking about um, Jesus revealing his word to people, uh, the question was, well, how is he going to determine who are Christ followers, because we know that there are lots of people who call themselves Christians that don't necessarily follow Christ. And the answer would be um, the same thing. Those who have an outward appearance, you could see it from their lives, not just what they wear, but you could see it from their lives, just like you could see the black and gold, see it from their lives, that they are followers and committed. Their lives, the outward appearance, what we see in their lives, shows that they are followers of Jesus Christ. Uh, They have knowledge of... God and his word, and not just people who say, I think in the Bible it says, or I think Jesus says this, they know what it says because they spend time with him. And then the last one, they are committed. Committed to following him, committed to obeying his will, committed to doing whatever he has called them to do. Those are the people, when you talk about servants, when you talk about followers, those are the people that God says, you know what, I'm writing this word to you. All right, I'm going to move on real quick. He then says, write about what must soon take place, all right? And um, according to John's understanding of this word, and according to, if you look at the New Testament church, their expectation was that the return of Christ was something that wasn't going to happen decades ago, but something that was going to happen immediately. And in 2 Peter chapter 3, verse 9 to 10, it says, The Lord is not slow in keeping his promise, as some understand slowness. He is patient with you, not wanting anyone to perish, but everyone to come to repentance. But the day of the Lord will come like a thief. 
The heavens will disappear with a roar. The elements will be destroyed by fire. And the earth and everything in it will be laid bare. And the point is that they were expecting, they were expecting that this return, the fulfillment of this word, this revelation, to come quickly. They were living their lives as if Jesus could come back at any time. And I don't want you to think that your pastor has a criminal background, but I know something about what a thief requires. And although you need a plan, you need a strategy, you need equipment, most important thing that a thief needs is they need to be quiet and they need to be quick. They need to be quiet because they don't want to alert anyone. Some of you are looking at me weird. I am not a criminal. But they need to be quiet because you don't want to alert anyone to what you are doing. And a thief needs to be quick because no matter how well planned out it is, the best laid plans always get destroyed. So they need to be in and out quickly. And even Jesus said about himself, he said that my coming will be like a thief in the night. Some people will not even know it took place and it will be in an instant. And that's the way Paul, as we read, uh, encouraged the book of, uh, encouraged the church in Thessalonica. He goes on then to say that um, everyone is to be blessed. This book is supposed to be a blessing to those that read it. Okay? He says that reading this book is supposed to make you, the word blessed literally means happy. When we're done reading this book, the expectation is that we're supposed to be happy, filled with joy, not because of all the stuff that's going to happen in it, and people focus on, you know, there's going to be earthquakes, and there's going to be, you know, water drying up, and there's going to be famines, and all this kind of stuff, but we're supposed to be happy because of how much God is willing to go through to get to you. That's how much he loves us. Now, for those of you uh, that don't know... Um, this, this book is, is the, pretty much the epitome of a supernatural chick flick, okay? And for those of you that have watched chick flicks, and I don't expect any guys to raise their hand, but for those of you that watch them, you know there's a story where the guy will, will swim the longest river for the girl, the person he loves, or he'll climb the highest mountain for the person he loves. But in this book, we read where God doesn't swim the longest river. He dries up the river and kicks down the mountains to get to you, the person he loves. This book is more about God's love for us than it is anything else. And speaking of blessings, on a separate note, uh, just so you guys know, there are seven blessings listed in the book of Revelation. Um, Revelation, the one we just read in 1 verse 3, chapter 14, 12 to 13, chapter 16, verse 15, chapter 19, verse 9, chapter 20, verse 6, chapter 22, verse 7, and chapter 22, verse 14. Seven times, blessings that are recorded, not because this is a book that's supposed to give us nightmares, freak us out, or scare us. It's a book that is supposed to make us happy, okay? And then John says that this is a prophecy. He himself calls it a prophecy, and he uses the same word that's used throughout the Bible for prophecy, not because he believed it was symbolic, because he believed it was a, and a prophecy literally means a divine revelation from God that will be filled in the future. The word revelation is, the, the Greek word is literally where we get our word apocalypse. I think it's apocalypsia or apocalia, or however it's pronounced. It's where we get our Greek word, our English word apocalypse. And when we think of apocalypse, we think of terror, right? And something, woo, something bad. But it literally means unveiling. Somehow we have taken this book that's supposed to be a blessing and attached all these horror-filled, outrageous things to it. And God's intent is that it would be an unveiling, a revelation, 
that would make us happy and fill us with joy because we see how much he is going. And as we go through the couple of weeks, you'll see time after time where God says the intent of some of the things that occur are for him trying to get people to know his love for them. That's what the purpose of the book is. Now, I know we're just getting started and we're only at verse 3. All right, um, jump down to verse 4. And this is in verse 4, John, to the seven churches in the province of Asia, grace and peace to you from him who is and who was and who is to come, and from the seven spirits before his throne, and from Jesus Christ, who is the faithful witness, the firstborn from the dead, and the ruler of the kings of the earth. Now, he goes on to say, to him who lives and has freed us from our sins by his blood and has made us to be a kingdom and priest to serve his God and Father, to him be glory and power forever and ever. Amen. He then goes on, look, he is coming with the clouds and every eye will see him. And even those who pierced him and all the peoples of the earth will mourn because of him. So shall it be. Amen. I am the Alpha and the Omega, says the Lord God, who is and who was and who is to come, the Almighty. Now, this is important. Because he goes on and he says that this letter is addressed to the seven churches that are in uh, the province of Asia. And we'll go into that in a couple, uh, next week. We'll talk about the specific l- indications and why those specific churches. Actually, in verse 20, or later on, he talks about God says, write it to these churches. And that's why John addresses it to these churches. But it's important because he says, write it to the seven churches in the province of Asia. There were more than seven churches in the province of Asia. And there's a lot of speculation about why he picked those particular seven. Now, I won't go into that this week, but I will say this. There are a lot of people who look at this book and say there's no way lots of the things can take place because it's just not natural. And it's not. It is a supernatural book. It is not God telling us about, you know, the plants that grow and the waters that flow. It's God telling us about things that will happen when he unleashes his divine power and might on the earth. It's not a natural book. It's a supernatural book. To that end, uh, let, uh, there are lots of people that have uh, a little bit of, you know, weirdness when you talk, start talking about spiritual things. For example, from a Hebrew uh, Jewish perspective, they look at the number seven, because you'll see it throughout the Bible, the number seven as being a, 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 a sign of spiritual perfection. We look at it, and we probably think, you know, that's a little bit too, we're not into the numerology thing, or then you're getting into witchcraft and all that. But let me share this with you, because you're going to see it throughout. He addresses to the seven churches, and there are multiple times where the Bible uses the number seven at the instruction of God. Now, you don't have to take care of all these, but seven days of creation. The Sabbath is on the seventh day. The seventh year is a year of rest for the land. Noah took seven of each clean animal on the ark. All of these are at God's instruction. Pharaoh's dream of seven fat and seven lean cows meant seven years of plenty and seven years of famine. Again, Joseph said that the reason Pharaoh had that dream is because God was speaking to him. So this is, again, at God's instruction. The blood of the sin offering was sprinkled seven times before the Lord, again, at God's instruction. A leper appeared before the priest on the seventh day to be examined and declared clean. Again, that's God's instruction. The festival of Passover and the festival of Booths each lasted seven days at God's instruction, and there were seven weeks in between the festival and the festival of Booths at God's instruction, okay? And unrepentant Israel, God said, would be punished seven times over for sin. 
at God's instruction. At God's instruction, Joshua marched around the city of Jericho seven times with seven priests blowing seven trumpets, all at God's instruction. In the book of Revelation, there are seven stars, seven lampstands. There are seven flaming torches, seven seals, a lamb with seven horns and seven eyes, seven angels with seven trumpets, seven angels with seven plagues and seven bowls, and as we already said, seven blessings. So for those of you that are looking and saying, wow, that is a little weird, a little awkward. No, it's spiritual. This book is not supposed to be a natural book of Johnny went to the store, Johnny came home, this kind of stuff. It's a spiritual revelation from a God who the Bible tells us is spirit. So although we may look and be a little bit all like, hey, how can this happen? We don't have to understand how it happens because we're looking at natural things. But God knows how it's happened because he's revealing spiritual things to us. Are we all, is that making sense to everyone? Yeah? Okay. All right. Well, um, we're going to move on. Now, he says this is from uh, God who was, who is, and who is to come. This adds to the fact that he is talking about a prophecy and not just symbolism. God identified himself in the book of Exodus chapter 3 to Moses. He said, and God said to Moses, I am who I am and what I am, and I will be what I will be. And he said, you shall say this to the Israelites, I am has sent me to you. The reason he said that is he wanted to make it clear that I'm not just a God of your past. I'm not just a God of your present. I am also a God of your future. I am God then. I am God now. And I am the God, same God that you will see in your future. And there are some, uh, for lack of a better term, realms of thinking that say that it's impossible for God to know the future. They say that God doesn't know the future. He just knows his creation so well us and the planet and the things he created, that he can guesstimate what's going to happen. Well, that's not God. That's pretty much you or me on a good day. God says, I am the God of your past, your present, and your future, and I don't know it because I'm guessing. I know it because the same God that's sitting there in the future when all this takes place is the same God that's sitting here now, is the same God that was on the throne when Jesus Christ was put upon the cross. Same God, past, present, and future. All right? And he says this is the, he sp- talks about the seven spirits of God that are before his throne. And this is, this is crucial because a lot of people interpret that differently. The seven spirits, some people interpret it as being literally seven angels. That when the seven spirits of God were before his throne, they look at in the book of Hebrews, chapter 1, verse 13 through 14. It says, to which of the angels did God ever say, sit at my right hand until I make your enemies a footstool for your feet? Are not all angels ministering spirits sent to serve those who will inherit salvation? In other words, they're saying, John is saying, you know, there are seven spirits before the throne of God. And some people interpret it and say, well, that's probably seven angels who are before the throne of God. Some other people interpret it differently. And they say it is the sevenfold spirit of God. Because in the book of Isaiah and in the book of Zechariah, it talks about the sevenfold spirit of God. God the Father, God the Son, and then God the Spirit. And God the Spirit has sevenfold characteristics. Now, here's the thing. No matter how you interpret it, doesn't matter. Doesn't change anything. Doesn't change who God is. Doesn't change who we are. Doesn't change what God is capable of doing. All right? Now, he goes on and he talks about the fact that giving praise to God, and he squeezes in the gospel. And he talks about to him who loves us and has freed us from our sins by his blood and made us to be a kingdom and priest to serve his God and Father. To him be glory and power and honor forever. In everything that you do, you're going to see it throughout. In every aspect, in every chapter, 
there is a reflection of the gospel, which is that Christ died for us to free us from sin so that we can spend an eternity with God. And you'll see it throughout. More than anything else, I said this before, more than anything else, this book is about God's love for us. So when someone asks you, well, what, what, what do you see in the book of Revelation? This is why I'm emphasizing. It's not just that you see, uh, like, thunder and lightning. It's not that you, you see angels flying around. In fact, we'll get to a point where God sends an angel to fly all over the globe, just, pre, just announcing the gospel in the sky, so that no one can say, well, I never heard or I didn't understand. An angel will do nothing but fly all over the globe, preaching the gospel so that everyone can know God loves us. He sent his son to die for us, to free us from our sins, and so that we can spend an eternity with him. All right? He then talks about um, that he sees Jesus coming with the clouds. And I'm going to speed this up so I can wrap up. He sees Jesus coming with the clouds. And many people interpret that differently. They say, well, what does he mean by clouds? Does it mean he's coming on a cloud? Is he like riding a cloud like we would ride a, a jet ski or something? And some, if you look at the, uh, in Hebrews chapter 12, verse 1, uh, therefore, since we are surrounded by such a great cloud of witnesses, let us throw off everything that hinders and the sin that so easily entangles, and let us run with perseverance the race marked out for us. Some people say that he is coming with the clouds literally means that he is coming back. This is this, not when he comes like a thief in the night and snatches people away, as we read in Thessalonians, to save them from the wrath, but where he comes back with all of the believers. The show comes back in power and glory and might to reveal himself to the world, to say, hey, I'm here, it's time. But there are other people that say that um, it literally means, as in Matthew 17, 5, while he was still speaking, a bright cloud enveloped them, and a voice from the cloud said, this is my son whom I love. With him I am well pleased. Listen to him. And this is when uh, Jesus was on the mountain, and he was transfigured, and it said a cloud covered him. And then it says that a voice spoke out of the cloud. And it's not that that cloud was people, but that that cloud was literally what the Hebrews call, or Jewish people call, the Shekinah, the glory of God, manifested itself. And out of that glory, God spoke, and the disciples heard it. But again, it could be him coming back with that power and glory, and, 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 and it could be him coming back with all the believers. Personally, I tend to believe it could be It leans towards him coming back to all the believers. Jump down to verse 9. John goes on and says, I, John, your brother and companion in the suffering and kingdom and patient endurance that are ours in Jesus was on the island of Patmos because, because of the word of God and the testimony of Jesus. On the Lord's day, I was in the spirit, and I heard behind me a loud voice like a trumpet, which said, Write on a scroll what you see and send it to the seven churches, to Ephesus, Smyrna, Pergamum, Thyatira, Sardis, Philadelphia, and Laodicea. Now, basically, John, as I said, John was um, exiled for his testimony. He was exiled for preaching the gospel. At that time, Rome was not, I think it was under Dionysia or Dionysius, I forget the ruler's name, and he had him exiled. This was after he had been tortured. He had been, some people say, literally beaten and skinned and then boiled in oil, boiled alive, as a way of trying to kill him and get him to give up or, 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 or deny the gospel that he had been preaching. 
And when all that failed, they just exiled him to the island of Patmos. And he says that he was in the spirit. And this is where a lot of people say, see, he was in the spirit. This is just a vision he had. It's not real. But the terminology in the, in the Greek, the terminology can mean one of three things. It can mean John's body remained where it was. And he had, he was in the spirit. God's spirit fills his believers. And that he was in that spirit-filled place and he had this vision. That's one interpretation. Another interpretation is that he was in the Spirit, literally meaning the Holy Spirit came over him. God's Holy Spirit came over him. And when it did, it allowed him to see these visions. And the third interpretation, the one I lean towards, is that he literally, the Holy Spirit literally came and transported him to another location. And we'll see where he gets transported up to heaven where he literally experienced these things. The reason I lean towards that is because he doesn't just talk about what he saw. He talks about what he saw, what he heard, what he experienced, and what he felt. Which is not necessarily, I had a vision or a dream. It's, I literally experienced these things. And again, if you're talking about on a a spiritual thing, then uh, that lends to that. And he says that it was on the Lord's Day, meaning it was on a Sunday. Uh, It was the first day of the week, which became to be a, a time to worship the Lord. And he writes this letter, as we said, to the seven churches. Drop down to verse 12. I turned around to see the voice that was speaking to me. And when I turned, I saw seven golden lampstands. And among the lampstands was someone like a son of man, dressed in a robe, reaching down to his feet and with a golden sash around his chest. His head and hair were white like wool, as white as snow. And his eyes were like blazing fire. His feet were like bronze glowing in a furnace, and his voice was like the sound of rushing waters. In his right hand he held seven stars, and out of his mouth came a sharp double-edged sword. His face was like the shining sun, and all is brilliant. When I saw him, I fell at his feet as though dead. Then he placed his right hand on me and said, Do not be afraid. I am the first and the last. I am the living one. I was dead, and behold, I am alive forever and ever, and I hold the keys of death and Hades. Now, quickly, that indicates some people saying that, hey, uh, you know, this isn't really a revelation of Jesus Christ. It's just what John saw. But here, John says that it was, he identified himself, the first and the last. I was dead and I'm alive. Jesus Christ giving this revelation to him. And, and he, Jesus describes himself or John describes what he saw in Jesus, and one pastor said that he, uh, he saw him in such a way that he had never seen him before, because remember, the last time he saw Jesus, he was in bodily form, hands were pierced, and he saw him ascending into heaven, he and all the other disciples. Now he sees him uh, in a way that he's never seen him before, and one pastor said that he sees him uh, clothed not just with uh, the description he sees, but clothed in majesty, purity, authority, and glory. And Jesus acknowledges that it's him that's speaking. He acknowledges his role. Drop down to verse 19. And he tells John, Write, therefore, what you have seen, what is now, and what will take place. The mystery of the seven stars that you saw in my right hand and of the seven golden lampstands is this. The seven stars are the angels of the seven churches, and the seven lampstands are the seven churches. Now, what that literally means, depending on your, your viewpoint, uh, there are some people that say that the uh, seven stars, um, um, the interpretation of the stars and the angels, he says it's the churches and the angels. And some people believe that there, were, there literally are angels that are given authority, protective authority, over churches. Not over necessarily congregations, but over areas or regions. 
And we see this even in the book of Daniel. In the book of Daniel, chapter 10, uh, verse 10 through 14, Daniel is speaking, and he says, A hand touched me and set me trembling on my hands and knees. He said, Daniel, and this is an angel that's talking to Daniel. Daniel, you who are highly esteemed, consider carefully the words I'm about to speak to you. And stand up, for I have now been sent to you. And when he said this to me, I stood up trembling. Then he continued, Do not be afraid, Daniel, since the first day that you set your mind to gain understanding and to humble yourself before your God, your words were heard, and I have come in response to them. But the prince of the Persian kingdom resisted me 21 days. Then Michael, one of the chief princes, came to help me because I was detained there with the king of Persia. Now I have come to explain to you what will happen to your people in the future for the vision concerns a time yet to come. And if you look through Daniel and Isaiah, lots of places in those books, you'll find over 300 references to the Old Testament throughout the book of Revelation alone. There are like 70-some out of Isaiah and some 50-some out of Daniel. And, 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 and this is an indication where uh, when Daniel is speaking, it's, some people say, well, he's just talking about a prince. But if you read through the book, an angel is talking to Daniel. And the angel says that I was delayed by the prince of the Persian kingdom. And what some people say is that the prince, or ruler of Persia, who was uh, Babylon, was huge. And they were, they were uh, big, and they had lots of stuff going on, lots of power and might. So they were able to defeat or delay this angel, which doesn't line up. Remember, interpret scripture by scripture, because elsewhere in scripture it says one angel could slay a thousand. Not a thousand just people, a thousand in an army. One angel would lay whole armies to waste. And the, the interpretation is from a Hebrew standpoint, and the way that I interpret it, is that when he uses the words prince, he's talking about princes or angelic beings. And he says that I was delayed by one until the chief prince, Michael, who and is, is an archangel, the only archangel listed by name in Scripture, the only one that's ever referred to in Scripture, in the Bible, if you look through Jewish writings, or at least four or five other ones, but he refers to these princes as angelic beings, and he indicates that these angelic beings have some authority over certain areas. So going back to the book of Revelation, some people interpret it as there are angels that are over churches, not the individual churches, but regions where the churches exist. And we'll get more into those regions and those seven churches next week. But other people interpret it as maybe it's the pastors. That angels, angelos, the Greek word, can literally be translated messenger, which pastor, and that Jesus is saying that I have not only these churches in my right hand, but I have the pastors in my right hand. Whether you interpret it as the pastors who shepherd the church or the angels who are protecting the church, what Jesus Christ is communicating is that those that are over shepherding or protecting the church and the church, I have in my right hand. I have authority over them. I am guiding them. I am protecting them. Which is why you guys have heard me say this before. There are churches in this area and throughout the United States that are closing their doors. I don't believe it's God's intent for a Bible-believing, spirit-filled church to close its doors. That's why he's holding them in his hand for his use, for his purpose, to reveal his love to people. Now, no matter how you interpret it, no matter what you look at, no matter um, what your opinion of, of, of the uh, book of Revelation is, I'll give you my opinion. And that is that although God's revealing a lot of spiritual stuff, the main thing that he is revealing is who he is and his love to us. Now, I have a video clip that, that talks about just who God is, because when we think of God, we tend to think of 
sometimes big things. We think of little things. We think of what we've been told. We think of what we've been taught. We think of maybe just the passages that we've read or just the ones that have been communicated to us by maybe grandmom or mom or if you roll out somewhere and you see it on a sign on the side of the street. That's what we tend to limit ourselves to. When we think of God, you are this. God, you are that. We think of the only thing that comes to mind is what we've experienced or what we've been told. And what I want us to be in prayer about is God may be trying to reveal more about himself to us than what we are used to. So take a look at this video clip. All right, well, I'm going to ask you to bow your heads before we close out with a time of worship. God, we are so grateful that you reveal your word to us. That out of everything that we have going on in our lives, that you spend the time to show us how much you love us. And we pray that in the coming weeks, Lord, as, as, as we unpack this book and we know time won't permit us to dig into everything like we did today and go into as much detail in every chapter. But we pray that we would understand how much you love us. The depths of what you would go through to reveal yourself to us so that we would understand your love for us, your desire to spend eternity with us, Lord. Lord, we pray that if there's anyone here that, that doesn't know that love, that you would speak to their heart right now that they would walk out of here knowing, knowing, knowing that there would be no doubt in their mind that there is nothing that you will not do to share your love with them. Lord, that's our prayer, that we would walk out of here knowing how much we are loved. For the person that's, that, that's hurting because of a relationship, to the person that's hurting medically, to the person that's hurting financially, none of that will change or stop the amount of love that you have for us. God, our prayer, reveal your word to us. Reveal your love to us. Amen. Jealous for me. God, we are so extremely grateful that you would take the time to reveal more of yourself to us. We are so grateful that not only did you love us enough to send your son to die on the cross to pay for our sins, but you loved us enough to send us your word to let us know the depths that you are willing to go through so that we can spend an eternity with you. And God, we know that we live in a world that's full of a lot of things that are not pleasing to your will. So one of our prayers is that you would show us, speak through us, let us be a light to a world that desperately needs to know your love. Lord, we pray that you would make us a light that shines your love in our homes, in our schools, in, in daycare, in our workplace, in the bank, in the grocery store, at the golf course, wherever we are, that you would be able to use us 
just to speak about your overwhelming love for this world, Lord. Lord, we praise you. And again, we just pray that throughout the coming weeks, as as we go through this series and we unpack your word, reveal more of yourself to us. Reveal more about ourselves to us. And reveal how we can share your love with others, Lord. We pray this in the name of your Son, Jesus Christ. And all God's people said, Amen. 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 Thank you guys for coming. I pray that you have an awesome Father's Day, and see you all next week.